this stuff will all be up on the screen, but I would suggest you look at it in your Bible. Uh, keep a finger in that and turn over to the Acts page and keep a finger in that too because uh, they're quite long readings and you may just want to uh, kind of refer back to them. So 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 8. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men, but my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So God promises to King David that his name will be great, that his kingdom will remain secure and flourish, and that his son will succeed him and will build a temple to God in the city that David has chosen as his capital in Jerusalem. That God will bless the people and their king with his love. And here's the critical bit, that David's throne, his rule, will be established through his lineage forever big promise, that David's throne will be established forever. Well, by Peter's day, that must have seemed, um, it must have seemed as if the words of that prophecy had failed. King's David line no longer ruled in Jerusalem, hadn't for a couple of centuries. The people were oppressed by wicked people from abroad, though they did still just have a home of their own. It seemed as if God's love had been taken away from them. But the Jews are really tenacious people. They are very tenacious in their hold of the prophecies given to them. They know, they knew that their God was powerful. Powerful enough to liberate them from slavery originally and restore them again in their land. They knew that the promises of God were certain and would fulfill themselves unexpectedly in over long periods of time 
if they were patient and if they were faithful. They knew that it was still possible for God to raise up a son of David and reestablish his kingdom in blessing. Only a month before, Peter's listeners, many of them, would have witnessed uh, the coming of Jesus of Nazareth out of the north, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling another prophecy. They watched on with excitement and interest. Here is a veritable son of David. Might this be the one to rescue us from the oppressor and reestablish David's throne under the favor of God? Well, it's true they might have, um, they might have accepted the cynical test of the Sadducees. If we can crucify him, then he's clearly not the Messiah. Certainly, the crowd had shouted out for Jesus' crucifixion. So they were complicit in his death. But what this crowd don't yet know, and are just about to find out, is that the messiahship of Jesus was not denied by his death. Precisely the opposite. It was demonstrated by his death because of what happened afterwards, what followed his resurrection from death. In that, resurrec- in that resurrection, God vindicated him as Messiah. And the favorite passages um, of, uh, of these, this Jerusalem crowd about their Messiah, which Peter is going to quote from memory, show that it is being rescued. Sorry, show, they show that it's being rescued from death, which demonstrates the Messiahship, which makes Jesus God's Messiah and allows God to fulfill his promise that David's throne will be established forever beyond the scope of death. Before we hear Peter's explanation to the Jerusalem crowd, there's one more thing that we need to know. When we hear an apocalyptic passage like the prophecy of Joel, which Peter quotes, We tend to think about the end of the world, the kind of destruction of the cosmos, a great conflagration of of fire, a nuclear holocaust, that kind of thing. But that isn't how apocalyptic works in the Old Testament or in the New. It's used throughout, well not throughout, but through the Old Testament, and it's used by Jesus himself to describe a total reversal in the political and spiritual life of the Jewish people. The destruction not of the earth, but of their world. This moment, Peter explains, is exactly such a moment. The resurrection of Christ, completely unprecedented, completely unexpected, though not completely unforetold. The resurrection of Christ overturns everything. So let's hear Peter's explanation. Twelve to thirty-six, page one zero nine three, Acts chapter two, verses twelve. And here we're talking about the crowd in Jerusalem. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, 
What does this mean? However, some however made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life and you fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. This is the word of the Lord.
So those listening are presented with several powerful and uncomfortable truths from the eyewitness testimony of Peter and the disciples. Firstly, Jesus, a great prophet in word and deed, was killed at their instruction, a very great sin against the God of the prophets. Secondly, that Jesus hasn't stayed dead, meaning that he was, after all, the Messiah. Thirdly, this resurrection, far from being ridiculous, is exactly what they have been waiting for, did they but know it, as declared by God in his prophecies to the, of the Messiah. Fourthly, in demonstration of that, God has miraculously empowered the witnesses of Jesus' resurrection, his untutored followers, with all the languages of the known world in order to proclaim the fact of the resurrection. Fifthly, the implication of the resurrection is that Jesus, by God's action, is demonstrated as Lord, a word used in the Greek Old Testament for God, and Christ, the word used in the Greek um, Bible for Messiah. So he is Lord, he is God and Messiah. This is their promised ruler who will sit on David's throne forever. And they've crucified him. So Peter's listeners are caught in a terrible dilemma, like the blades of a, of a pair of scissors. On the one hand, their wickedness. On the other, the living presence of their king. A bad place to be. But what kind of king? Not at all, at all it turns out, the kind of king that these listeners were expecting. A great king, yes, but not only or primarily with power over this region of the world and their time, but over the whole world and all time. Certainly not, to the shock of these listeners, just the king of the Jews, though he was crucified with that title, but the king of all nations. A great king, for sure, but ruling not only over the physical realm, but also over the spiritual realm, and even more incredibly, the realm of death. Not merely with power like Caesar to dispense death, but unbelievably also with the power of the Holy Spirit to dispense with death. Incredible, amazing, different kind of king. As Peter says, for God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to hold him. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And what are the implications of this for us as we sit here tonight? We know that we too are complicit in Christ's death, not because we were there at the time shouting for his death, but because of our petty rebellions against God, which shout out for our death. But he who is innocent took from us our guilt onto himself, that we might have his innocence. Therefore, like the psalmist that, um, uh, that Peter quotes, our hearts are glad, and our tongues rejoice because our bodies also will live in hope. Because God didn't let his Holy One see decay. So he welcomes us too into the paths of 
Jesus' resurrection life and fills us with joy in his presence. Two weeks ago, we were hearing of the Christian children in Iraq who are being martyred by those noble warriors of ISIS. Being a a powerless child makes matters of faith very simple. A simple choice between living and doing and saying what other people tell you to do and say, or dying with Jesus. Those children aren't confused by our um, uh, more complicated thought that perhaps we could kill the ones who are threatening to kill us. But these children in this simple place step right into Jesus' shoes. What empowers them to do that is the knowledge of Jesus' resurrection, that Jesus will welcome them beyond death. Without that knowledge, that deep conviction, there would be nothing to hold them to their faith, no earthly or heavenly reason. But if, like them, if, like Peter and his fellow disciples, if we are utterly convinced, convicted, trusting in, convinced of Jesus' resurrection, then nothing on earth can stop us. Because nothing on earth will matter to us. Because right there before us, is physical, human, eternal life with Jesus. So nobody can stop us because nobody has anything else that we want. Caesar can't stop us. The warriors of ISIS can't stop us because Jesus is there calling us into his life, his physical resurrection life. As Saul, the bloody persecutor, said once he'd become Paul, the witness to Jesus' resurrection, for me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Do we have enough confidence in the resurrection that we could say that with Paul? Paul, waiting in a prison cell for a court judgment which could easily mean a death sentence for him, continues... I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in this body. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Just amazing. Someone so caught up with, someone so confident in the resurrection life in Christ, that really the better option is to get the death sentence. Because to die is to be with Christ. To die is gain. But, well, if I have to keep on in this life to keep blessing you guys, then I guess that's what God will ask from me, and that's what I'll do. But you know what? What a shame. So what is the commission 
that Jesus is giving to us as disciples of Jesus and as a witness of his resurrection. What's the commission that he gives to Paul, also a disciple and witness of the resurrection? Paul says, the important thing is that in every way Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And that's true for Peter as well. He's a witness to Jesus' resurrection. He's also compelled by the Holy Spirit to preach Christ this Pentecost morning on the streets of Jerusalem. Hear him. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified only two months ago, only a month ago, has crucified he has, God has made him both Lord and Christ. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That was their commission. And it's our commission too. To speak out, to explain, to demonstrate in our words and action and public prayer that Christ is Lord and King. And that though we are rebels, and because of us he's been crucified, nonetheless in him is forgiveness and salvation and healing and resurrection life. And if you haven't quite got that straight yet, I would urge you to join us on our next Alpha course, which starts on Tuesday night, in which you can hear more of the resurrection life of Jesus and ask your questions and find answers together. Therefore, let all people be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom we crucified, both Lord and Christ. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. So let's pray for the world for whom Christ died, that those who need Christ may call on his name and be saved.